Well, so we're back again. Another high ground powered by Premier Companies, and uh, we have another guest with us today, in-studio guest with us today, and uh, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about our livestock uh, division, our Swine Link program, and Gary Calloway, you are the manager of uh, the Swine Link program. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself when you came to Premier, and uh, uh, we'll jump into what makes up Swine Link and why it's important. Uh, well, I've been here for 28 years, and I'm vice president in charge of livestock production, uh, which basically that's retail feed business, which is very minimal for us. And most of that is in our livestock production division called SwineLink. Uh, we started started SwineLink in 2003. We started raising hogs in 2004, and uh, started out with four of our patrons in five buildings, and and uh, it's expanded some from there. So uh, we're we're up uh, producing about 130,000 here, and then we're expanding that out to about 200,000, and we're in the process of that now uh, with plans to hopefully get that up around 250,000 within the next couple of years. So we started off with four growers, and how many do we have now, Gary? We actually have nine in here, and then we'll be expanding that out to probably three, at least three, maybe four more. Uh, and uh, so we'll, we'll be somewhere around 13, 14 growers, somewhere in that range. So we got so nine today, and then how many buildings do we have, right? We have 15 that we have in production today, and they're all the same size buildings. Uh, in this expansion we're doing, we'll be adding four buildings that are a little bit bigger than what we have. Uh, and then we'll have some of the contract growers there that are a little bit smaller. So it's going to be a little different situation, but, uh, you know, equivalent will be, we'll be, uh, right up around 22, 20, about equivalent to about 22 buildings at the size we started with. Wow. Wow. So, Gary, tell us a little bit about how do you, what kind of model do you have? Uh, is it fair to finish, wean to finish? I mean, you might explain the difference in that. We know um, we know that there's some familiarity with our audience and some not. Yeah, so you might we may yeah. even define what pharaoh means yeah. because uh, we got some folks who might be watching this that have no idea, really. Okay. I mean, for years in, in swine production, when you heard someone say they had a farrow to finish operation, they had all of the different size animals on one operation, all the, all the way from breeding the sow to the sow having the, the baby pigs and then raising those pigs out. Uh, ours is set up very different than that. Um, and I, I've had a very unique opportunity here at the co-op because we started this from scratch. We didn't have anything to work with so you know a lot of people that do this start with existing facilities and then have to to build onto that and and we were unique in the fact that we started with nothing and we could kind of design as we want so the part we do here is we do what's called wean to finish so we get the the, the pigs right when they're weaned off the sow at about three weeks uh, three and a half weeks is when they're weaned off and they come into our buildings here, and that's they stay in those buildings until they go to market at around 275 pounds, something like that. So that uh, that'd be the cute and cuddly phase, right? We go from the cute and cuddly phase to the not so cute and cuddly phase after they start out in yeah. that phase. It doesn't take long to get past. You that. can cuddle with them at 290 pounds. That's <laughs> probably against your will, I'm well, guessing. Sometimes you get a close meeting with them, but it's not not exactly cuddly, I don't think. But uh, yeah, but then we do. You know, we we get the pigs from sow farms uh, in Western Illinois that we own we own part of. Uh, so we have we have, it's somewhat like a farrow to finish. We just don't have them all on one place. We have we own all the animals through that. We just don't have them all in one location. 
So you said from wean to to finish to market. How how long of a time frame is that? So I guess how many times are we doing this a year out of those barns? Yeah, we're doing it about two point one, a little over two point one times a year. It's about it five and a half months is about what it takes from the time we we place them till they're they're out and we're we're ready to, to place again. You know, one thing uh, got a chance to see some of the barns and just how clean you you would think like a, a hog barn would be. Uh, you know, we have pictures of a of a mud, you know, mm-hmm. a, a hog wallow or something, and just how clean the barns are. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think we earned that. I mean, years ago, in the continuous type operations, they never really hardly emptied out. I mean, they there was animals going in and out all the time. Uh, with these, when we empty them, we empty the whole barn, and the whole barn is power washed each time and then disinfected before the new ones come in. So it... It helps to keep it in a lot better shape as far as cleanliness. It's a lot easier to clean if you do it between each group. Plus the biosecurity, we want to we want to wash that all down and, and disinfect it so we have as clean of an environment as possible when we bring these in. And this is one of the things you kind of coached me on is when you say power washing, you don't just mean just making sure we clean the floor. It's it's everything, everything. in the building. Yeah, the ceilings, the walls, the, the concrete and gates especially, you know, get done really well. But no, everything gets cleaned and washed down. It's really a it's really a surprisingly clean environment when we put the pigs in there. Yep. Yeah, that's uh, and climate controlled. Um, obviously, it's climate controlled with um, uh, with the varying seasons that we have here. Um, we're not we're not in Hawaii or someplace that's uh, that's nice all the time. But um, with that being said, with those those little pigs coming in, mm-hmm. obviously you make accommodations to to take that wide range of of a, of a little pig all the way to a market sized animal. So let's talk talk about your barns just a little bit as far as the heat and and what are what are, what are you doing there as far as comfort level for those animals heat wise feed wise um we think about throwing feed to the animals people used to chore <laughs> on the you know, ground yeah, yeah. They, the people used to chore a couple times a day and throw feed so right. let's dig into that how is the how does the day look for that animal well we'll start out with the small pigs when they come in i mean we have a couple of different things we do there i mean the buildings are if it's winter time especially they're buttoned up tight with the curtains are up and everything to hold as much heat in as we can uh, we have heaters in each room, so you've got a, a two heaters in each room that maintain the room temperature. We usually start that out around 74 degrees, uh, and then we have what's called brooders. They're small gas heaters that you put a rubber mat down on the floor for the pigs to have a place to lay so they're not on the concrete, and then there's a gas brooder that's right over the top. So we try to create kind of like a kennel environment for them there that's about 84 degrees, uh, for them to, so they're comfortable in that area. Then they can come out and go to the feeder uh, to, to get feed and to get to the water and everything. Uh, then as they grow, we'll take the brooders out and they get up five, six weeks, we'll take the brooders out and the mats up. Um, and then the feed is basically delivered. Uh, we'll place, you know, there are 4,000 head barns. Uh, we take eight bags. Typically, we take eight bags of feed there and the rest of it's all handled bulk. Um, and the feeder fill systems all feed themselves. I mean, they, they, monitor, they when they get low, they'll add feed to it, and, and so it's all automated and, and done that way. Um, in the summertime, then, we can open those curtains, will open up, and we get a lot of air through the barns. Also have mister systems in there that are on timers, so of course, pigs can't, 
perspire, so they basically, you have to add moisture to their skin so that the evaporation helps to cool them. And so those misters will come on and off to help keep them cool and air moving through there evaporates the moisture and that's what helps to pull, the more, or pull heat out of the animals. So uh, keep them as comfortable as we can in, in both environments or year round really. Because if they're not comfortable, they they won't eat, right? I mean, right. It, if right. Uh, they won't gain, if the if it's uh, you know if it's too hot, too cold, and that's why we you talk about the curtains. What that actually is 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 kind of the the artificial walls, Correct. right? Yeah, there's sections of the wall. Some of them stay up all the time that are just basically walls, and then other sections that will move up and down to let different amounts of air through as you're running different ventilation fans and stuff. So. Um, and that's all run by computers. Basically, each room has its own computer, and it runs. You you preload all that, and then it monitors and runs that basically itself. Gary, I I got to tell a quick story. Of, uh, remember when <laughs> you start laughing already? <laughs> yeah, this yeah. Be good. <laughs> so I was going to get my little girl a couple pigs to raise, right? And and uh, I asked Gary. I was like, Hey, I said I'm, I think if we're going to get Kate a couple pigs, and he goes, he goes, Oh, he said, What do you plan on feeding these pigs? And I said, well, slop, I guess, right? I mean, there's a slop bucket, so we make a slop bucket. And so tell us a little bit about that. I think it's more complicated than that, Gary. <laughs> well, tell, it, I think yeah. you actually call them rations. I try to tell Gary that he's way overthinking this. That a, a hog will eat about anything. So, so you don't have leftovers when you have pigs generally, Gary, but I <laughs> yeah. think it's different on your operation. It's a, it's a little bit different on ours. So, so yeah, they actually, we, we feed nine different diets from the time they, they come in. Uh, different amounts to, depending on what size they are and stuff. But yeah, there's nine different formulations that we use to try to maximize the growth potential in each one of those stages. So sourcing the ingredients for that, let's let's jump ahead just for a minute, mm-hmm. um, if you will. As a cooperative and and having a hog operation, how does that benefit our members? Talk about talk about how our members are benefited. I'm sure that, that there are people out there that wonder, how does that benefit a member? As a cooperative, people pay to become our members. They look for, uh, they look for us to buy inputs and provide them a, a better uh, buying position potentially or uh, able to source greater inventories. Um, but, but how do the hogs benefit our members? Okay, well, there's basically kind of, I, I, off the top of my head, three different areas I think that, that affects them. Of course, obviously, one is the growers because uh, it does offer them an opportunity. And this, we primarily started the system to try to offer a revenue stream for some of our younger producers that were going to struggle to do that on their own in livestock. And kind of in this area, trying to crop farm, it's it, livestock's always been around to kind of help supplement that. And, and so we started it for that. So obviously, those people can benefit from it. But then we also purchase today we purchase about a million bushel of corn in the past we'll be up to about a million and a half we're close to a million and a half this year and push two million when we get this or a little over when we get this thing up to the to the size we want to get it to so again it's that much more corn being used out of the area helps to strengthen basis levels and offer some opportunity to each of our growers that that they're merchandising corn is another avenue to go for that uh, and then the third thing I'd say is basically the profitability from the hog operation flows into the patronage pool, which is, an, again, an opportunity for every member to share in, in that. Uh, so there's different ways that it benefits the members for us to be in this business. Thank you for that. I think it's neat. It's a, it's a really neat way for uh, someone to get into ag that's, that's, uh, that wants to be in an ag business, but they, you know, the barrier to entry into, into row crops pretty pretty tough but yet 
you know, you have a young person that wants to get started with, with uh, animals and in production agriculture, and this is a really good way for them to do it. Yeah, and, and you know, one of the nice things for a younger guy trying to get into it, Sal, is that you know the 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 risk is pretty high if you're, you know, if you're going out and trying to 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 take the risk of doing crop production and doing things as the seasons changes and stuff. And so one nice thing about life, the, the kind of livestock production we do today is a contract grower minimizes some of that risk. Uh, they're not actually doing the operating cost and the stuff. So it does give them a little bit of stability in terms of the income without the risk associated with some other aspects of agriculture. Okay. Um, looking at, uh, looking at a, a larger scope on, on the hog industry, uh, we hear a lot, even on non-agronomy uh, news feeds, a lot about African swine fever, a lot of these things that affect, that sound scary. Um, tell us a little bit about African swine fever. Tell us a little bit about what it, what areas it's affected, how it affected not only here locally but globally, uh, and, and any of those kind of things that you, you mentioned that the barns get disinfected and cleaned. That's super important. The biosecurity plays into everything we do from a livestock standpoint. So touch on the diseases. How does that affect uh, the production? How does that affect the cost? What do we see? And, and, and this is nothing different than a global market like we're affected by and everything that we do. So dig into right. that overall view just a little bit. Okay. Well, diseases and the health aspect is probably the biggest threat that we have to production. Uh, it's it's going gonna, it's gonna to affect our efficiencies is probably more than anything else we do. Uh, so again, we try to set the system up to be able to maximize you know, our ability to control that. And uh, we run these groups all, what's called all in, all out. So we place everything in a week, we clean everything completely out, and then disinfect as we talked and, and get the barn ready. So again, all that is to try to make the animal as comfortable as possible and minimize disease pressure as much as possible. Uh, so, you know, there's, from a local standpoint, for our barns, it's a critical thing for us. Now, globally, I mean, we all need to be aware we are in a global market, and it's amazing how much the, the global thing affects. When you talk about African swine fever, uh, I mean, that's a, that is actually a, a virus that has been around for years. Uh, it's been in Africa for a long time, but it mostly stayed isolated into that area. Uh, several years ago, it branched out into, uh, the, into the European community, and so they, they kind of got it in some of the areas there. But then recently, in the last few years, it got into Asia and, and primarily into China. And it's a, it's a really big deal because China is the biggest country people-wise. There's most people there, but it's the largest swine-producing country in the world. And it got into their herd and really, really had a, a devastating effect on their herd. Uh, different numbers you hear, but at least cut it down to probably half what it was at one point. Uh, so it is a, it is a serious threat. Uh, it is not a threat to humans. It is a threat to, to hogs, but it's not a threat to really any other species animal. And it's not an effect uh, to humans at all, but it certainly is effective on hogs. And so, you know, the biggest threat that we all deal with is if it gets in, if, if African swine fever is in the country, you basically are locked down on trading. Uh, so so you know, today we trade, actually we export about close to a third of the production that we have nationwide in, in, in hogs. So, you know, if, if, we're, if we have positive African swine fever tomorrow, that stops. And so all at once our borders close, 
all that product has to stay domestically. So it, it's, it would be a devastating thing on, on pricing. It would be a devastating thing on the industry altogether. So it's a big, big deal. If we can, you know, we're doing everything as an industry we can to try to keep that out of the United States and, and stuff. So, you know, globally, it has really cut back on the production. And the more it cuts back production, the more it builds opportunity for us to export. Uh, so if we can maintain a free status and, and not have that, you know, a positive case here, it creates a lot of opportunities for us down the road. Um, it, it, the other thing that's unique about African swine fever is it's a very strong, I mean, it's a very hard virus to get rid of. It lasts for a long time in the environment and stuff. Uh, so once you get it there, it's very hard to get it stopped. Uh, good thing is there's some, there's some really good research going on into vaccines that we've never had. So I think we'll have better controls down the road, but as of now, that's not been a very effective, well, it's just not been effective at all. And uh, so hopefully if we ever do get it, we'll have better means to control it. But best alternative is we don't get it at all. You know, I was surprised. We talked about biosecurity and, um, you know, as, as, as Gary kind of coaches me on, on, you know, how we raise uh, the pigs and we think about biosecurity, but it starts really locally about, um, the the farmers the anyone that goes into that barn will sh- take a shower before they go into the barn and i mean and gary and i talked about this and i was like you mean like shower like wash your hands and face and he goes no you it's a shower like you would at home and then the clothes you put on once you enter into the barn or another set of clothes so you've got a changing room so those those boots and the clothing that are in the barns never leave and i'm sure they leave to get washed they've got but they never leave that barn and and i think it's pretty neat that just the care of the animals and just the health of the animals are at the forefront of everything they do yeah and actually in in our barns they don't the clothes don't leave we have washer and dryers inside the barns and so they they do stay in there so once it goes on what we call the clean side uh you know they stay in there and uh and we even have most of the barns always they have their own set of tools inside uh, on occasion, we'll have to have someone come in from the outside that to work on something. But the general things that they do, they usually have tools that stay in the barn and stuff to try to minimize any cross exposure in and out as, as what we can. Kind of, kind of ironic that we call the inside of the hog building the clean side, you know, and, and the outside is. So we kind of, from the animal perspective, though, that is the clean side that's and right. the outside's dirty. So yep. that's, that's where we get it from. Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> well, that's all good. All good information. I appreciate that. Uh, I, I didn't prep you for any questions, but I'm going to throw one at you here. Um, and, and you can get as deep or as shallow, or you can say you don't want to answer it. But we hear a lot about lab-based meats. We hear a lot about alternative protein sources coming into our systems. As a large-scale livestock producer, I mean, thoughts on that, behind that, um, I don't know, from an economic standpoint, from a health nutritional standpoint, what are the implications of that? How concerned are are we today as large-scale livestock producers uh, about this gaining traction? Where do we see this going and how quickly? Well, I think we have to be, you know, we have to be concerned about it. Um, I think it's going to progress fairly rapidly. Um, there's a segment of the consumers that are interested in that type of a program. And, you know, I think that'll, I think that'll continue to progress. I, I don't see some of that, uh, probably the plant-based products. I really don't see that getting 
very much traction. It's been tried quite a bit, but I don't know that that's going to get a lot of traction. I don't know that we know enough yet about the cell base. I mean, it's getting it's getting more tension and it's getting expanded some. Uh, probably has some real potential, but again, I think there's just a segment of the market that's going to be interested in that. You know, one of the interesting things with the the pandemic or the COVID stuff that we saw uh, is there was actually an increase in domestic consumption of animal protein during that period of time. Uh, and, you know, you think about people being locked down at home and stuff that, that they might not be interested in doing that. But it was actually a very good time for, for meat production because uh, demand domestically was very good. Um, and with a growing expansion in the world, you know, if, if we can keep developing export markets and stuff, I think we can continue to expand our, our base. But So I think those things are there. They're going to be there. Uh, there will be some interest in them. Um, I don't see that that's, that's going to be a major effect on things, but I think it's something we've got to be concerned about and keep an eye on. You know, we think about uh, things like uh, that are in the news, like energy independence and, and uh, topics like that. It's pretty neat that we can grow – uh, you know, we grow our own corn and we have these hog houses that are locally uh, owned and operated. And uh, and just to, to have that reliable food source, boy, I think that's a, it's, it's in, no, no one wants a hog barn right by them. But on the other hand, you've done a lot of things to, to mitigate some of the things that what's the saying that your neighbor's hogs always smell worse than your own hogs. Right. <laughs> but, uh, you've done some things to try to, to mitigate even the odors. I mean, these, these mm-hmm. buildings aren't like open, open air buildings. And, uh, what's some of the things that we've done to try to, to do with the odor mitigation? Yeah. Well, you know, some of the, I mean, the, the multiple diets that we feed helps with, with, you know, we're trying to get as efficient, as we can with each one of those diets and the more efficient we can get the less excess nitrogen that comes off of those. And and so, you know, that's a a form of helping to try to control some of that as much as possible. Uh, Cleaning those buildings every time helps to to keep from a buildup situation as far as that. And then there are some pit additives that we do use to try to help with the the micro or the, the anaerobic process of breaking that manure down and stuff. There's still some some smell associated with with hog barns i mean it, it just there still is now someday maybe we'll we'll get to a point where we can control it even better than what we can today but you know if you, if you look at the number of animals we have in a building today and you think about the older production systems that we used to have uh there's a dramatic improvement in what we've been able to do and with the technology in the last several years and, and i think that'll keep developing uh, we'll keep getting different things that that's going to help with that uh, how far down the road is it going to be for us to really have kind of a complete control? I don't know. I think someday we will, um, but it's it's there's a lot of research being done on it. But um, I don't know exactly when that point's going to be. But it's 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 much better now than it used to be. Well, that's uh, it's it's all been good. I appreciate your opportunity, your willingness to come in and share a lot of this. Swine Lake is is obviously a very important division of premier and uh and we're thankful that that we have it we're thankful for the opportunity that it uh, that it provides our membership as well um anything else that you want to add to that sal any more questions for gary uh well i've got lots of questions sure. <laughs> <laughs> right. well, yeah it, and we can cut them after you ask yeah, that's fine. right it any of them pertain to last <laughs> <time>? <laughs> well if nothing if nothing else gary uh 
thank you again for being here and uh, and thank you for uh, your management oversight we're, we're growing that operation we're and we're glad to be in animal livestock we know that uh, we'll probably have you back and we'll talk about uh, we'll talk about more of, of the livestock we're we're always it's always interesting that people like to hear about this and like to see about it so thank you very much right. I appreciate you. the opportunity enjoy visiting with you about it thanks appreciate it.